thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come to a cradle in the dirt to live as a man to redeem us from the curse of sin and death and hell. How we thank you for that. We glorify you now, Lord, as you're seated there in the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Bless your name, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain Holy, holy is He Sing a new song To Him who sits on Heaven's mercy seat Sing that with me, how are they? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. of lightning rolls of thunder blessing and honor strengthen glory and power be to you the only wise king yeah. holy 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 is the Lord God almighty King of kings, you are my everything, and I will adore you. We worship the Lamb who slain Jesus, filled with wonder. the mansion of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water. 
creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I It is the beginning of Advent season. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, we are following the traditional Advent themes that have been, I don't know quite how long they've been in the tradition, but the first week of Advent is on hope. And so this sermon is on the hope of Jesus. Now, um, a great way to uh, think about something like hope I watched a movie last week for the first time. I don't know how I haven't seen it up until now, but uh, Shawshank Redemption, right? Never seen it before, and finally watched it. Somebody was like, you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. I was up till past one o'clock in the morning watching it. There's a scene that really displays uh, hope in a beautiful way. So the story was that this guy named Andy, he was uh, in, in prison there for a crime he didn't commit, but he had been emailing, not emailing, this is before emails, right? This is the 90s, sorry. He was mailing, like the old school thing, you know, handwrite things. And he was uh, seeking donors on the outside to help fund a library for the prisoners. And after many years of letters, he finally got the funding and books started pouring in. He made a little library. Now within those books was a Italian opera, vinyl, one of the Mozart's um, uh, symphonies, I believe, that was made into an opera. I don't know how that was, but he gets this vinyl, he starts playing it. Now he happens to be in this room and he kind of ends up locking himself in the room and he has this vinyl playing and there's a radio um, that connects to all the intercom system in the whole prison. And so he scoots over the speaker to the vinyl that's playing this Italian opera and it's beautiful, soft music. And he makes it play over the entire speaker of the prison and um, there was a moment where all the prisoners were out about, you know, moving around and they just stop. And there's this beautiful music playing. And that wasn't a normal thing for them to hear, right? This wasn't, you know, readily accessible for them to, but to hear this beautiful opera through the speakers that caused everybody to stop and just listen for the few minutes that he was able to get away with doing it. And the voice of Morgan Freeman then kind of narrates the, the story and he says this. He says, I tell you that those voices, the opera on the speakers, they soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. For the briefest moment, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Really profound moment, right? Music provides hope, all right? And I wanna, want you guys to, to walk me through this. Something like music provides hope, but how does music provide hope for prisoners? Uh, it's not just music. The forms of art themselves, whether it be music or paintings or books or movies, that bring something relatable in our day-to-day -day experience, but then expresses it in such a way that it kind of feels out of reach into an experience outside of our own, something just a little bit better than what's accessible here. A place just like this, but just a little more beautiful, a little more colorful, 
right? You think of, uh, if you read C.S. Lewis's book, uh, his little book, The Great Divorce, when he gets into this kind of heavenly, you know, sphere, this place, everything's just larger. You know, the grass blades are actually really hard and just thicker, and everything's just a little bit, just like here, but just a little bit bigger, right? I remember taking my kids to the uh, Philly Art Museum and seeing uh, the Monet's Bridge painting and feeling those kind of same things, right? It scratches this itch inside of us as humans because there is something innate within us that says there's more to this story of ours. And we see brokenness around us and we think, you know, things could be better or perhaps they should be better. And it stirs hope as we imagine how things could be. Well, this book here, almost every page is full of such hope. I'm going to read these words from the prophet Isaiah found in chapter 2. I want you to listen to this, all right? If you're, if you're not the artist type, all right, just pretend you are for a minute, okay? Just imagine the world that, he, that Isaiah here is describing in chapter 2. It says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. Now, could it be, okay, that God could actually physically one day, once again, dwell here in this world? That Yahweh himself would set up shop here on earth and bring forth his law and draw the nations to himself with the result that all the weaponry in this world would find no use anymore. That he would reconcile us all back together in violence and war and death and those things would be forever out of our human story and be banished from this world. We take a moment and we imagine such a world and it stirs, right? That hope stirs that one day everything could be made whole. Kind of like that scene, the Shawshank Redemption just makes you stop for a minute and just feel that glimmer of hope. And Christmas, this Christmas season, it is a story of hope, as we will see. Hope that something special, something unique, something divine, something miraculous really did happen in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That a young woman really was pregnant with not just any child, but with the Son of God. And as we imagine Mary pregnant with child, we know that the Christmas story didn't begin, you know, with her pregnancy. And so we have to kind of walk through the story here of Scripture this morning to trace the theme of hope from the beginning of our Scriptures. Hope, it wasn't originally here. It didn't need to be here in many ways in the Garden of Eden 
uh, desire perhaps for God and, and Adam for his wife, you know, th- desire may have been there, right? But, but there's nothing that really needed to be fixed in Eden, as the Bible tells it. This is before sin was present. Everything was uh, shalom, peace, made whole. We'll look at that later in our uh, Advent sermon series. But the need for hope didn't surface until Genesis chapter 3, right after the curse of sin, when the world was first broken. God provided hope from the fall in the form of words, a promise of justice to be given to the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. And that uh, um, uh, justice would come through a child, through the seed of Eve. In verses uh, 15 in chapter 3 of Genesis says this, It says, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman, God speaking to the serpent, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Now, some translations actually say a crush, uh, a crush uh, head. Um, He will crush your head. Now, a head blow is far worse than the heel, right? And so there's a, a crushing blow that will come one day to this serpent who tempted as a promise of justice. Now the hope that was uh, the one that, that uh, the hope that the one who brought the temptation would eventually be removed from humanity, eventually be, be crushed and be removed from our story, that what just happened may one day be reversed, right? That the sin of Adam and Eve could one day be reversed through the crushing of the serpent. It came. And then we see in chapter four, hope is on that page as well. Right? There was a hope in Genesis chapter 3 that one day justice is coming. But check out verse in chapter 4. Abel and Cain, you know the story. Uh, Abel uh, perished through the violence of his brother Cain. Adam and Eve gave birth to then Seth. Right? And she said, you know, in place of Abel, I've been given Seth, said Eve. And it said then after Seth was born in Genesis chapter 4 that people began calling on the name of the Lord. Now the idea was perhaps... You know, a lot of commentators think this, that maybe they thought Seth was the one that would crush the head of the serpent, right? This almost Messiah-like kind of figure, that he was the one to save humanity and bring justice. They weren't quite sure, but they, they felt hope. And they didn't call the name of Seth, though, because their hope wasn't in Seth. Their hope was in the Lord, because they began calling on the name of the Lord, saying, Lord, you know, he, he banished humanity from himself after sin, kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. But they said, you're still with us. You're still here. You're still accessible. We can still call out your name and you can still hear us. So the first, you know, chapter 3, chapter 4, we see two different layers of hope. We see hope for God um, to once again be present just as they began calling in the name of the Lord, even after exile from the garden, God was still accessible. God, are you there? God, are you with us? You're still here in this broken world. Are you still here? So hope for God's presence. And then everywhere else we'll see also the hope for God's justice to be brought. And those two things are paired together from the rest of our scriptures. We're going to walk through those things this morning. The first hope is that even after sin, even after we were banished, that God it's still present in our broken world, that he's still accessible to you and I. When they were exiled from the Garden of Eden, the loss of physically being with the, with the eternal God of the universe, that loss has forever reverberated deep within us ever since. All throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms, 
especially in the Psalms, the presence of God still remains our hope because many times in this world, if we're honest, it feels like God might not be present. That's, I don't know how many of the Psalms, but so many of the Psalms are that kind of, you know, thing written like, God, this is really hard, but I know you're still here. This is incredibly challenging what I'm facing, but my hope is still, I know that you're still here, so my hope still lies with you, God. My hope is still that you are actually here in the midst of the chaos that surrounds me. My hope lies in you. Why are you downcast on my soul? Hope in God, says the psalmist. One of the more famous passages that expresses this kind of hope is in the book of Lamentations. After many generations of sin and rebellion against God, the city of Jerusalem, God's holy temple, it was raised, it was torn down. God's people were being uh, shipped off as slaves to a distant country. And there was Jeremiah, you know, sitting there watching the city just smoldering in flames and all the death of war and violence that he was warning was coming and nobody listened to him as he watched the city Burn, and he himself was just so distraught and being ripped inside from his own mourning of seeing what was happening. These famous words in Lamentations 3, it reads like this. He says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, the sting of seeing what he was seeing, right? He said, My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have, what? Hope. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Remember, he's watching the city on fire, right? he's, He's looking at the city on fire and he's saying, great is the faithfulness of God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will, what? hope in him. As the smoke rose from that burning city, hope rose, even in the heart of Jeremiah, that God was still somehow present in the fire. That his faithfulness was still there in the chaos. This only comes if you believe indeed that God is still there, even in the confusing times of brokenness. Such a longing for God's presence was felt even more during the days of Mary. If you go to our Christmas story, when she was pregnant, um, about 60 or so years before, the empire of Rome had essentially annexed her nation. Rome ruled with an iron fist. Freedom was, was only an illusion where they were. It was uh, ruling through intimidation and tyranny. All these promises of God for this world to be made right, for the Messiah to come and to save and to fix all that had been broken, for God to be present once more in this world as they were living in that reality beneath Rome, it seemed a distant reality, right? But the longing was ever so great for it to be in their own day. And that brings us to the second hope. Again, if you look at the hope of God's presence, it's almost always tied with the hope of justice to reverse what is wrong in this world. And that brings us to our second layer of hope in the Bible, the hope of justice. Divine justice, actually, against brokenness outside and also inside. In most places, wherever that prophetic vision of a whole and peaceful world is found, if you pay attention Somewhere attached to it is a glimpse or a vision 
what the prophets in the Old Testament called, the Hebrew Scriptures called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of his final vengeance against Satan, evil, the fallen angels, as well as that day when he will once and for all cleanse this world from sin and death and injustice and remove it uh, from it forever and ever from our story. And that is the, the big broad term is indeed justice. God will once again make everything right. Amos 5 describes the day of the Lord like this. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness. It is not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is it not? Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom and no brightness in it? The day of the Lord is the night before dawn. The day of vengeance of our God is the day that then leads to the restoration of this world. If we need God's justice, right, we recognize that the world's brokenness, there's some kind of spiritual component to it. Because look, let's just be real here. When, when truly just wars happen, when there's, a, when there's a legit evil enemy to pursue, and then that war is done and it's completed, that we look at the world and say, ah, there's no more evil in this world. No more need for war or violence anymore. No, no need. Of course not. It's always there, right? No nation will ever be perfect because there's people in those nations, right? The, ever since the, our human story, and, and, and as far back as the Garden of Eden, right? We cannot fix what is wrong with this world. Our attempts may bring glimmers of what it would look like one day if evil and wickedness were completely gone, but it will just resurface. We cannot ever fully do it, which shows us we need some kind of help from the outside to fix what is wrong with this world. We need some kind of perhaps divine help to repair us. This day of the Lord, actually, the very last verse in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament looks forward to this. The very last verse. So you think of Mary as she's pregnant. You know, what was the last prophet that was the last thing that was uttered and spoken? It was this. 400 years before Mary, they were waiting for this. It says, Behold, Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It was a call to prepare for the day of the Lord, a call to say, He's coming. Be ready for that. And then, boom, it was prophetic silence until Mary was visited ultimately by an angel, Gabriel, who announced these things. All the things you've heard. Now just listen to these words that Gabriel shared with Mary as recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying. I think I'd be troubled just seeing an angel just pop up and start talking to me, right? Um, but she's more troubled at the saying of it. Like, what? What's going on here? She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The Son of God to be born, to receive a throne, to reign forever and ever. It kind of makes you think of, you know, that Isaiah chapter 2, right? God is coming to rule and reign forever and ever. That we'll be looking for 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 so long now, it may actually be here. It's it's actually happening. Will Rome be overthrown and the tyranny gone? Could it really be so? And we will see now how this, this, this birth of Jesus, okay, if the Bible describes our hope as one of the hope of God's presence and his justice to come to repair and to restore so God can one day be with us again. When Jesus showed up, he fulfilled both of those hopes. He completely and utterly completely he fulfilled both of those hopes. We're going to look at how he did so through, his, through the gospel, through the good news. So you look at his story. It began in, 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 uh, in Isaiah 9. Again, listen to these words. The, the prophecy that looked forward to the birth of Christ, said this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. The birth of Jesus is what we call the fancy word, is incarnation, the incarnation of God. God actually becoming flesh. One theologian, uh, Karl Barth, said it like this. He said, the nativity mystery conceived from the Holy Spirit and born to the Virgin Mary means this, that God became human truly human, out of his own grace. The miracle of the existence of Jesus is climbing down from heaven is Holy Spirit and Virgin Mary. Here is a human being, the Virgin Mary, and here uh, as he comes from God, Jesus comes also from this human being. Born of the Virgin Mary means a human origin for Jesus, for God in flesh. It's an absolute mind-blowing thought. Jesus Christ is not only truly God, he's also truly human, like every one of us, but a human without limitation. He is not only similar to us, but he is like us. The incarnation provides us with the hope that not only did God's presence return to this earth, that would have been wonderful in and of itself, but he went the extra mile, if you will, and he became one of us. So then when we pray, and we're, and we're in that moment where we feel like, God, are, are you really here? Are you present with us? As we know that Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 4 says, when you pray, Jesus can listen and says, I know. I know. I was also human once. I also went through the temptations that she went through, the suffering, the loss. We don't know about his father, Joseph, but he disappeared from the story, presumably. He died when Jesus was young. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to have friends betray him, to suffer, to be tempted in every single way, but yet be without sin. 
but he is our high priest in that way. He is a far better shepherd and pastor than any pastor on this earth because he can say, I am the God man and I know what it feels like, but I went through it. I'm going to be with you as you go through it. And also the hope that Jesus fulfilled. I just spit. When I start spitting when I'm preaching, it means I'm getting riled up here. The death of Christ is also the hope of God's justice. As the presence of God returned to this world, as he was born as a human being, his disciples thought that maybe the day of the Lord was coming. They said he's coming as a king to then overthrow Rome, and then God's wrath is coming, and then the world will be made new, just like Isaiah said, and death will be no more. Resurrection will take place into everlasting life, and boom, but that did not quite happen because they watched their Savior die. They said, that's not supposed to happen. (laughs) Kings don't die. Saviors don't die. Saviors rescue and save. He looks like the one who needs saving right now. He's on the cross. This is the upside down. This is the opposite of what we thought was supposed to happen. What was really going on, as they learned later, was that the hope of justice against sin and death did come, but it came on Jesus instead of the wicked in this world. Before the world to be judged, the innocent one, Jesus, was judged in our place. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord came as Amos and so many of the prophets foretold, that day of darkness and not light as Jesus hung, darkness swept over the city of Jerusalem. And it was as if that great and awesome day of the Lord came only to Jesus before it came to the world. The hope of God's justice justice was manifest, but Jesus, he absorbed it through his death. Therefore, the hope of Genesis 3.15 in Eden of the head of the serpent being crushed, it began on the day that Jesus died. So now when you place your hope in Jesus, this very interesting kind of epoch of time opened up that was unexpected, that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, they never really quite saw it coming. The disciples didn't quite see it coming, that before the great and awesome day of the Lord came is a time, is a period of grace and of forgiveness that says you don't have to perish beneath God's wrath because Jesus did in your place. And now what you can experience is acceptance before God and love before God and not judgment because Jesus was judged on your behalf. And now you can receive grace upon grace. There's the first miraculous reality is that Jesus did die in your place. We forget that in all of the hope of God's justice to finally come and make all things right, we kind of forget that you and I were part of the problem sometimes as to what needed to be made right. Therefore, if the day of the Lord came, we would all be swept away. So praise Jesus that he came and dealt with it in order to usher us into it into the heavenlies, into God's place, because Jesus absorbed the wrath that we are due. That is precisely why God sent Jesus to be born, that he may provide an opportunity of grace and forgiveness to be made available. Romans 8 said it very plainly, that if you're in Christ, there's no more condemnation. The shame you feel from your sin, it's washed away. Forgiveness is, as John said, there's, there's always forgiveness available in 1 John 1, 8 to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. 
If, in, if you are in Christ, you are loved by God. If you are in Christ, you are accepted by God. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven by God. In Christ, you have received grace upon grace. You are adopted into his family as sons and daughters, given the high place at his table. In Christ, you are not destined for wrath, but destined for gracious, eternal life with God forever and ever. We talk of hope, it's scarcely more than we could ever have hoped for. And the second miracle of Christmas of the good news of the gospel is the hope of God's presence. The hope of God's presence becomes a reality in our life as the Spirit of God makes his home in us. Jesus called, uh, in John 14 and 15, he, he calls the Holy, Holy Spirit our parakletos, all right? It's, not a, it's a unique Greek word that's not really found often in ancient documents, but the meaning is really simple. It refers to somebody who is actively helping you. Like he's a, he or she is, is a active living you know, presence in your life, helping you, assisting you, with you, um, consistently and constantly. The astonishing claim then of the incarnation is that when Christ is born into this world and he died, he was resurrected, he ascended back into heaven, that God sent his spirit then to dwell in those who were forgiven in Christ. And so him, his presence, is not just a place where Jesus was, but now it is actually permeated throughout all of his people, that his presence enters you when you have faith. His presence enters the person sitting next to you when they place their faith. And so the hope of God's presence that was lost in Genesis is now available to us. We have access to God through his spirit who now actually dwells in you. And he is the helper who is constantly, he's not some like force or just like power, okay? He's an active presence in your life that is helping you every single day, moment, hour in ways that you don't even know. Christ said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ask, this is John 14, 15 through 17, and I will ask, this is the Father, and I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or know him, knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, as we start closing this sermon here, um, hope, uh, I, I, I want to, uh, I can call our worship team up at this point. I'm going to read this. As we talked about hope, the hope of God's presence, the hope of God's justice, there's, about, there's, there's uh, a couple of things I want to say in closing. Yes, the call is to place our hope in Jesus. We're going to talk about how that affects us as people. But if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I want to place my hope in Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus forever and ever. I'm a Christian or, a, you know, in and out kind of Christian or, you know, wherever you are on the map of faith, okay, you might be here. Maybe saying, you know, I would love to actually cast all my hope on Jesus, but you don't get it. Like, it, this is, you know, times are tough right now. You don't quite understand just how crazy things are, okay? I, I, I want to share with you this, that hope, read the scripture from Romans 5, hope never leads you to shame. It will never put you to shame. It will never um, uh, leave you empty, Listen to these words, Romans 5. 
Therefore, since we have been made right, justified by faith, the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character, what does it produce? Hope. Because hope does not put us to shame. Why? Well, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, has been given to us. Hope shapes you. Like it is a character-shaping thing to be committed to hope because like Paul walked through that, right? Uh, in suffering, right? We know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character because if you can survive suffering, there must be a hope that's being cultivated inside of you that says, you know, one day all these things will be made right. Jesus, come. We know that you are making things right here now, but we look forward to the day when you will fully make things right. And I am here committed to the hope that says, I am, I, I, I'm not going to walk away from you, Jesus, because I know that you are the true answer. If there's anything left in this world to hope for, Jesus, it is in you. And that is shaping you throughout the trials that you experience in this life because the Holy Spirit is within you, affirming that you are loved and accepted in God. So friends, the call to hope is a, is a call to not give up, but to persevere and let hope do its work inside of you. So a couple of inward applications and an outward. Inward in terms of the presence of God. Here's a little test, okay, of what you truly hope for. You may say, I hope in Jesus, yes. But here's a little test. When life gets hard or difficult, where do you run to? Because wherever you run to or whatever you run to, that's where your hope is. Just let that sit for a minute. Or imagine something in your life getting taken away from you that you would be really angry about if you lost. There's probably some of your hope is wrapped up there as well. If you practice the hope of Jesus, yes, it's something you have to practice. Practice the hope of Jesus by saying in those moments when you feel the urge to turn to those false gods, we can call them counterfeit gods, that won't deliver anything but a momentary you know, uh, comfort that will just disappear and leave you feeling more shame and more guilt. Practice the hope that says, Jesus, I'm running to you. Jesus, I'm running to you. Lord, I cast all of my hope on you and my soul is downcast. I'm going to choose to hope in Jesus. Secondly, outward. Christmas is a wonderful time to give the world a glimpse of the justice of God in this way. We know that the cross, that we, uh, in our place, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God and it points to the day that he will remove all the evil and wickedness and injustice from this world, all the brokenness and make things whole again. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in you now, he has sent us out to be a glimpse of that justice of God, to say, you know what, if there's a broken situation that I can help in bringing healing to, whether it's generosity, whether it's an amazing, sorry guys, an amazing quick story. Um, I, I served at the Sunday breakfast mission last week um, just for, I don't know, couple of hours, so I had time for it with my kids and everything, but I interviewed a lot of people before they got their meals, and we helped them out. Um, you interviewed with them, you sat with them, and just shared the gospel, prayed for them. It was great. Um, 
There was a question that they asked us to ask these people that were getting some assistance. They said, you know, the question was broad and vague. What is your greatest need, needs? What are your greatest needs? And, you know, I heard a lot of just really sad, horrible stories that just made your heart ache. But you know the common one was in all the stories that literally all of them mentioned? I need somebody just to talk to. And that rocked me. I'm like, really? Like, that's it? Like, there's one person who didn't want our time to be over. They just wanted to sit and keep talking, right? I mean, there you see presence actually meeting justice in that regard, right? You're bringing wholeness to somebody just by being there. And you're giving them a glimpse of something broken there through the, through the love of community. And in the way you're saying, God never leaves me. I just want to be with you and show you the love of Christ just by listening ear. These are, these are really simple ways. So the Christmas season is a time to be on high sensitivity towards that because we have the gospel, the good news behind us. And we know that God's going to make all things right. Well, go. Step into something that you can bring a glimpse of the love of Jesus into to maybe perhaps bring a, just a glimmer of wholeness to somebody's life this season. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, they're going to sing us a song. We always close our services with prayer. And so um, I'm going to ask that um, for those who need prayer this morning, if, if you need the hope of Jesus in your life, you need somebody to pray for you, just a, a redirection back to Christ, please come and receive prayer. I want to also ask this. If you're in this room and you have legitimate needs, like you hear this justice, and you're like, I need some of that in my life. I need help in my life. But maybe you're a little bit just ashamed to admit it, that you need help. Please come forward and share that need. We'll pray for it and prayerfully do what we can to meet that need. And so um, they're going to sing us in a song. We'll have our elders and others lined up for prayer. And please come forward if that is you this morning. Um, Jesus, thank you for this time. Lord, will we just we, 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 we look at the gospel, look at the hope that we have in you. Lord, I, I pray that it stirs us just to want to see you and to know you ever so much. Lord, for those in this room who just need to come forward in an act of boldness to receive prayer this morning, and a recommitment to you, or just a confession of sin in their life, or just a, 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 a vulnerability that says, I have a huge need right now, and I need help. Lord, would you, would you enable them? Would you uh, uh, embolden them to come forward, Lord? We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. You stand with us, please. I rest my soul on Jesus when the mountains shake. I put my trust in Jesus the moment His love is like the mighty ocean. His love for me will never stop. 
strong enough to carry me through it all by the grace of God. So high upon His shoulders, safely brought us far. His love is like the mighty ocean. His love for me will never stop. Oh, His arms are strong enough to carry me through it all by the grace of You are the passion of my life, Lord Jesus. You are the song within my soul. My strength, my hope, my all in all is you. Jesus, you. the grave. 